0: Please stand with me to read God's Word. We'll be reading the first six verses of Matthew 18. We are making progress. By the way, this is now our 112th message in Matthew. Praise God. God's Word is amazing. That's an understatement. God's Word is powerful, It is strong, and as we read it, let's trust God to do a work in our hearts. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven whoever receives one such child in my name receives me but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea this is God's word let's pray Lord we come to you today dependent upon you, Lord. We come to you into this room, into this place today, and we are aware of how messed up we are so often. Lord, we're aware that we, we are lost without you. Lord, we're also deeply aware that we have pride that rises up in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would deal with that pride. That you would kill it in us, Lord. That you would truly make us humble. Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us today. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a tough sermon. The greatness of the humble. I don't know much about that. People have been arguing about greatness for years. Alexander the Great comes to mind. He wanted to fulfill his father's ambition to be a world conqueror. He was no less ambitious than his father. And so country after country uh, succumbed to his might. And he wanted to be proclaimed as a god. And so he approached a famous philosopher and asked him to make the declaration that Alexander the Great is God. And so the philosopher refused. And Alexander asked him, is the world... Conqueror Alexander the Great, not a god To which the reply came, no, he is simply a conqueror To be a god, he is not to be a world conqueror, but a self-conqueror And that philosopher paid with his life for speaking those words You might think of Muhammad Ali In our era, In the, when I was growing up uh, Muhammad Ali pronounced himself the greatest boxer of all time I remember as a kid watching and listening to all the hype uh, during the Ali Frazier fights, and even at school, it was, Are you for Ali, or are you for, for Frazier? Ali uh, famously said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. He also said, I figured that if I said it enough, I would convince the world that I really was the greatest. He also said, At home, I am a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people I've found don't get very far. When I was in elementary school, I got into the habit in one period of my life of writing at the top of my paper, Mike the Great. (laughs) Probably because I was insecure and knew I wasn't. Among the most difficult problems that human beings face is the desire for rank, the desire for reputation, reputation. That breeds bitter rivalries And Jesus speaks to these issues In Matthew 18, 1-6 Where he highlights the greatness of the humble And he wants you to recognize something He He wants us to recognize Our true position before him So that we would have a humble Dependence upon him That our posture before him Would be one of humble dependence. Now, the only problem with that is that the disciples were in the middle of a who's the greatest argument. They wanted prominence. They wanted preeminence. Humility was not on their minds. Jesus wanted them humble. Let's go to verse 1. Matthew 18 and verse 1 says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We learn from Mark chapter 9 that they were arguing on the way. And that Jesus challenged them about it and they became silent, maybe out of shame, maybe out of embarrassment. Luke tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts in this setting. So the idea, and you know that Matthew is very succinct and he gets right to the point, he summarizes a lot. Basically, Jesus detected their rivalry, he questioned them, silencing them, and then they blurt out this question. Who's the greatest In the kingdom of heaven. And it happened at that time. That's a a key phrase at that time. It's at the time when Jesus had spoke of his coming cross. Of his coming suffering and death. His disciples initially showed grief. But that was temporary because here they were busy arguing who was the greatest. In that same context... At that time they came and they were fixated on rank They were engaged in rivalry And they wanted to know which one of them was the greatest The Greek word there is megas It means great, large So they were seeking greatness of rank They were seeking greatness of reputation They wanted importance, they wanted status What could the triggers have been, you know many of us that we we find out as we get older how how warped we are and we find out the triggers that cause us to go in certain ways what were the triggers for the disciples maybe it was the transfiguration here you had three that had specially favored invitations by Jesus Peter and James and John everyone else had to stay back and remember what they were doing they couldn't cast out the demon they weren't praying and they weren't fasting they were trusting in their own efforts. So three had been favored. Maybe they were jealous of Peter and James and John. You get a little bit narrower in focus and you see that Peter has been singled out several times now. Even in Matthew's gospel, not always positively, but he's been singled out, gaining special attention. He had his tax, the, the temple tax paid for him. And so maybe they were, maybe James and John, kind of the number two and three there, we're getting a bit jealous or maybe the others you you think maybe it was judas maybe maybe not but whatever the case they were arguing amongst themselves and so jesus verse 2 tells us sets a child before him might have even been Peter, one of peter's kids if it was in peter's house we don't know who it was but he sets a child before him now that would have been shocking Here they're talking about the greatest And he sets the most humble before them Children in those days were considered property by the Romans Their law, known as patria Potestis, Meant the the power of the father He had the power of life and death over his children Children were often only valued for what benefit they gave the family Uh, Another worker for the workforce Another soldier for the army in some cultures, babies and young children were left out to die, trying to weed out the weaker ones. But we do know that the Jews considered children a gift from God. Psalm 127 Behold, children are a gift from the Lord, a heritage. But Jesus sets his child before them and says, verse 3 Truly, truly I say to you and truly is a big word here I tell you the truth it's a solemn fact it's settled I'm serious about it Jesus says truly unless you are changed unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you turn unless you are changed unless you turn around and go in the opposite direction that you've been going and you become like children. You're not getting in. He's giving a correction. He's, he's telling them to change their attitude, to fix their minds on something else. It would have been a shocking contrast to them. A, it was a call to an attitude that drove action. Here we have the, the argument about who's the highest, and he sets before them the lowest. And he's not pointing out by the way The inherent innocence and purity of children I mean I love kids And anyone who has spent time around kids Know that they like adults are inherently sinful So how is a child humble? Not in the way you might think I have taught this passage in other settings in the wrong wrong way I've said, well, you know, you got to come to Jesus like a child, and a child is innocent and humble and pure and open and honest. Really? i got five kids. I can tell you otherwise. I love my kids. The children are humble. But the reasons are not for inherent goodness. The reasons are not for inherent innocence or openness to being taught. I mean, we'd like to think so, but from our first-hand knowledge... We know that's not true. We know that there is an ingrained human sinfulness in the hearts of all. Proverbs tells us foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will drive that away. So here's the idea that young children are by position, not by nature, humble. By position, not by nature, they are humble. They are totally dependent on their parents. They are relatively powerless in the world standards, they are consistently immature and almost completely without standing socially and economically. They are not unimportant, they're just not adults. And Jesus is using them to teach immature adults what it means to be great. Jesus is saying, become like children, not because they're innocent or pure or teachable, but because they're self-absorbed And foolishness is bound up in their hearts But they know that by, by virtue of their age and their standing in life They are, they are bankrupt, they are powerless, they are dependent, they are, they're immature Jesus is saying that the primary issue is about entering the kingdom of heaven Not about being the greatest It's like he's saying, you're worried about rank? I wouldn't be worried about rank if I were you. I'd be worried if you were in or not. You need to be worried about entrance. You want to be concerned about whether you are in or out of the kingdom. Don't worry about your standing in the kingdom. See, Jesus is reminding them, among other things, of their need for conversion, to be changed, to be regenerated by God, by the Holy Spirit. The heart change that He is He is speaking about here is the conversion of our hearts which is worked and operated by the Holy Spirit when He breaks us of pride and opens us to humility and trustful humility flows from that changed heart. And that's what makes one truly great in the kingdom, when they acknowledge their dependent stance before God, their position before God of utter helplessness. It's the Matthew five three, poor in spirit. Those who know they're bankrupt before God. We become a believer. When you come to faith in Christ, you own up to the fact, you face the fact that you are a sinner under the wrath of God and that you don't deserve anything but God's condemnation. And Jesus says that the posture of a humble trustfulness in the Lord is precisely the posture that a believer is to live with the rest of his entire life. In the kingdom the least is the greatest In the kingdom the one who was the most trustful Who was the most humble He is the greatest in the kingdom Now that attitude is so different from the attitude that we That we see in the world today And, and, and we, can, we can speak of that in so many ways In terms of what we know about our own hearts And what we seek And what we think about And what we acknowledge It's interesting that many of us would say Hey, I'm off the hook Because I have never purposefully tried to put myself up When Jesus is speaking of a heart attitude He knew their thoughts He knew what they were reasoning in their hearts Well, I'm better than him Why'd he get that? I'm more deserving Verse 4, Jesus says Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and and that that idea of humbling is, is to be lower to be to be made lower so whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest and that's another verse that i've i've thought of and said well a child humbles himself and it's like no a child doesn't humble himself his 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 standing in life humbles him the child didn't humble himself he was humbled by the reality of his station in life It's just the way it is That's why in a big crowd You'll, you'll look around and there'll be a child Clinging to his, his mom or his dad's leg Because that's where the security comes from You don't see adults clinging to one another's legs in public That would be weird It would be awkward Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. A child doesn't choose humility. A child gets humility put upon them, it's their only option. So, humble yourself like this child is uh, is not humble yourself like this child did, but humble yourself like this child is. D.A. Carson rightly put it this way the child is held up as an ideal, not of innocence. Purity or faith But of humility and, and unconcern for social status It's simply not an option Humility is the default position So Jesus is advocating humility of mind Literally, he will be the greatest Who has the least idea that he is great Martin, Lloyd jo- Martin Lloyd-Jones said I sometimes think that the very essence of the whole Christian position and the secret of a successful spiritual life is just to realize two things. I must have complete absolute confidence in God and no confidence in myself. Ligan Duncan said humility does not mean a permanent inferiority complex. Humility does not mean that you're the person who hangs his head below us and you walk around with a dark cloud over your head here and there in sackcloth and ashes rather humility is self-forgetfulness John Calvin said nothing but the knowledge of God can produce humility in us isn't it interesting that these disciples and it's comforting to us to see this but these disciples had a a grossly deficient understanding of Jesus before the cross It wasn't until after the resurrection That things started to get cleared up And the Holy Spirit fell upon them And men like Peter stood up And boldly took his stand Sinclair Ferguson said Humility is not simply feeling small and useless Like an inferiority complex It is sensing how great and glorious God is And seeing myself in that light And every member, by the way, it's interesting that the disciples wanted to know which one was the greatest. And, and basically they were all OK with saying, "As long as you tell us, we're OK if there's just one." Jesus, you get the final decision and which one of us is the greatest." You know, a little later on down the road, um, well, right before the cross, uh, the mother of James and John, at their bidding came and asked that jesus would would put her two sons up highest in the kingdom this wasn't the only time this argument happened amongst the disciples you go look through the gospels how many things were the disciples arguing about is this right here who's the greatest what what spot am i in in line am i in first place or not So so the disciples are saying Hey, only one of us can be the greatest When Jesus said Every one of his children Can be the greatest Every member of the kingdom Every Christian can display Christ's version of humility You know, the world is stingy The world is stingy It, It only lets a few who make it to the top Achieve its temporary greatness And it's those 15 minutes of fame And then someone else takes the spot It's like playing king of the mountain. But God is generously gracious. The kingdom humility, the kingdom greatness can be experienced by every member of the kingdom. And therefore kingdom greatness can be experienced by every Christian. So in those moments when you lose the world's ideal of success, your kingdom greatness becomes most evident. When you think nothing of yourself And everything of Christ Jesus is making it very clear That the kingdom As he has already stated Cannot be gained by personal merit Or by force It is to little children As he said in chapter 11 That, he, that Jesus reveals his truth Now Jesus goes on To talk about one more facet Of kingdom greatness And there is this overriding Care and concern For those who are in Christ Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now this has been wrongly taught often that this is you can receive any child in the name of Jesus and you're receiving Jesus. It's a twisting of that teaching. He's saying whoever receives... One such child He's pointing to the children uh, The not literal children But the, the spiritual children Who are basically true believers Whoever receives on account of me On the grounds of my name Jesus is talking about Welcoming as the NIV puts it Or, or receiving uh, The Greek word is dekomai. It means to take To receive someone Especially of hospitality But it generally means to receive as a guest. Bring someone into your home to welcome them. It's not literal children, but children as defined in the previous verse. Those who humble themselves to become like children. Those are Jesus' true disciples. Not welcome because they are great or wise or mighty but because they come in Jesus name what does it mean for them to come in Jesus name it means that they belong to him there's two parallel phrases here in my name and who believe in me so those who come in his name are those who believe in him then he goes on to say verse 6 and whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or to stumble one of Matthew's favorite words, scandal on. Uh, it would be better for you to go swimming with a millstone as an anchor. Better to die, basically. To die by drowning. A millstone. A millstone was used for grinding grain. And, and there were two kinds of millstones used back then. There was the common millstone used for daily use that could be only a few ounces Um, Or up to a few pounds, but that would not be much of an anchor, would it? You would have to keep pushing yourself down with that one. But the other kind is the kind that Jesus is referring to here. It's a large millstone, one that a donkey would turn. It was so big a donkey would turn it. That was an anchor. A big round stone turned by a donkey or by prisoners like, like Samson in, in, uh, in Judges 16.21. And this, this millstone would weigh up to hundreds of pounds. Stone so large it would take a donkey to turn it. Now the Gentiles used this form of execution at times. So it was ex- uh, uh, especially um, repulsive to, to the Jews to, be, to hear this. And what Jesus is assuming here What he is, he is, he is pointing to Is the world's opposition to, uh, Towards believers Touch one of Christ's kids And you're in grave danger of judgment Try to entice one to sin Watch out Like a mama bear robbed of her cubs He'll be all over you in judgment God protects his own But the biggest sin here That, would, that is being pointed to Is rejecting Christ You reject one who comes in his name belonging to him who is preaching the gospel you reject that you're rejecting Christ this passage is going to go on and we're going to look at this in, in the coming weeks of, of, of the woes that Jesus pronounces upon those to whom uh, temptation comes through we're going to see uh, the parable of the lost sheep we're going to see uh, church discipline all in the context of the kingdom here but for now as we as we bring this one um, uh, to somewhat of a close the question becomes what do we do with this how do we respond to to our issues that are just like the disciples there is this path to true greatness and many times we're not on it what do we do sometimes we're so far off the map we're not even our little blue dot isn't even isn't even there See, the disciples were were worried about rank and reputation. Let's come back to that question. That is the the, the crux. That is the issue point of this passage. They are arguing who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus wanted them concerned with his, his cause. We're not that different we're, We get focused on trying to be noticed all the time We get focused on our reputation We get focused on, focused on searching for significance We get focused on, on being known and recognized it, it doesn't matter if we're swimming in a big lake or a, or a small pond Whatever that, that context is we're, we're often trying to get up, up in front So because our first desire is often to secure a spot for ourselves How do we deal How do we cope? How do we proceed? How can we stop pushing to be first in line? What can we do? First of all, fight the tendency to follow the wrong value system. Fight the tendency that the disciples had succumbed to. They were arguing about which of them was the greatest and we've got they were self-promoting We've got to break free from the world's false view of greatness and self-serving so we can focus on Christ's true view and serve Him. What, you will, what we've got to recognize in, in, this, in this temptation and tendency that we will go towards is that the weaponry that we try to use to fight against it, um, and a lot of times it's just our own will, doesn't work. But that God's weaponry does work. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 here's how Paul begins this chapter I Paul myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ I who am humble when face to face with you but bold toward you when I am away I beg of you that when I am present I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh and then he says for though we walk according to the flesh We are not waging war According to the flesh For the weapons of our warfare Are not of the flesh But have divine power To destroy strongholds We destroy arguments And every lofty opinion Raised against the knowledge of God That argument that the disciples were having Was creating a stronghold in their lives That argument that they were having Was a lofty opinion Raised up against the knowledge of God Jesus was setting them straight with a very stark and shocking contrast by putting a child before them and turning things upside down. Jesus does this con- consistently. He did it in the Beatitudes. He does it here. The other thing to, no- to, to acknowledge as we fight this tendency to follow the wrong value system that we've often adopted is that our mind matters. Our mind matters. This the same passage in second corinthians 10 it says in verse 5 we destroy speculations and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ it is hard to take captive our thoughts because they are running amok proof positive i'll give you proof everything you've thought of since you've been in this room isn't jesus isn't worship isn't praise isn't the word how do I know? I got a mind too. It runs amok. When I was a children's pastor, we would do these day camps, and uh we would always have snack time in the afternoon. And uh when snack time would come, well, you know, you, what would you say? You'd say, everybody get in line. You have a hundred kids getting in line at the same time. None of them were saying, Hope I get the last spot, so I have a melted ice cream cone. You know, uh, no one was saying all pushing to the front, and so oftentimes I would say, "Okay, great. Now everybody's in line. All right, now we're going to start at the back of the line, start giving out snack." Great, great teaching tool, by the way. We got to fight the tendency to push ourselves to the front of the line. The other thing we need to do on this. if we're going to really go to true greatness, is to to focus on Christ's standards. You don't just fight the tendency and then say, "Okay, now I'm I'm in the clear." You've got to focus on Christ's standards. The disciples were focused on their own standards, their own selfish thoughts, their own cultural uh, conditioning. Even because for for Jews, it was it was uh, it was a big deal to be put up in front, to be to be known, to be recognized, to be Having a reputation. We're focus on God's standards. And as we do that, one of the things we gotta do as we as we focus on God's standards is accept God's discipline. Jesus was disciplining his disciples here. Hebrews twelve talks a lot about dis- disciplining and that his true children need to receive his chastening, and that it is out of love so that we would share his holiness. Discipline, the goal is for repentance To turn As Jesus says To go in the opposite direction True believers recognize their neediness And they then admit their self-focus Instead of seeking a prominent position Instead of keeping on going in that direction They come back to Jesus False believers don't Judas was in that mix I like to remember all the time That in most of the settings in the gospels Judas was there too An unbeliever the son of perdition, the one who perished. And what you've got to do as you're trying to focus on Christ's standards is allow yourself to be deprogrammed. Deprogrammed. The disciples' thinking had to change. Think about it. The Word of God washes us, does a work in us who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says The blood of Christ cleanses us As we confess our sins Your mind can be renewed We have this continuing, continual Cleansing in Christ We have this renewal of the mind That is going on as, we are, as, as Romans 12 says Don't be conformed to this world Don't let the world push you into its mold But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind You've got to allow yourself to be deprogrammed Thomas a. Kempis once said He is genuinely great who considers himself small And cares nothing about high honors That's a way of thinking Someone said Great men never know they're great But small men never know they're small you know, Our culture has a fixation on Things like self esteem And assertiveness and getting ahead and, and it just Feeds the sinful nature we are programmed, literally. We are conditioned by repetition, even of hearing the same message over and over and over again. So, are you hearing the Word of God or the Word of man? There was a children's show when, when my oldest was young, the, when my oldest was my only child. And uh, uh, it was called Arthur. I don't even know if it's still around, but there was a theme song on it that bugged me to no end, and I would always sing a different line. And uh, the line went like this It's a simple message, and it comes from the heart believe in yourself it's the place to start so I would always say believe in Jesus right? I would, I would uh, kind of speak over that line that's the place to start so, no don't believe in yourself <laughs> but that is the message that is in almost every book almost every movie from, ch- from childhood up through adulthood just find it within yourself basically you can be God no that's not the case you believe in Jesus. He changes your heart. You you understand your your, your bankrupt position before Him, and, and and know of your of your complete humility before God because you have nothing. That's the place to start. Believe in yourself, and you can do anything. Is a humanistic lie. It's found at every level of society, from cartoons. To the movies, to literature to, It generates pride, it generates self-seeking And we literally have to be deprogrammed From that way of thinking It feeds egos It feeds our desire for self-promotion And the world bomb- Bombards us with that thinking And we have to fight against it At the opposite end of the spectrum With similar wording Is Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ Who strengthens me You take Christ out of that sentence, you're gone. To say I can do all things doesn't work. (laughs) But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What else? One more thing. Find your identity and your worth and your contentment in Christ, in Christ alone. A Christian is someone who Who realizes they bring nothing to the table, and they they are completely dependent upon Jesus? You recognize that, and you will find true greatness because your identity then is rooted in Christ and not in your own definition. But what you've got to do in that context is tell yourself the truth: how you perform is not the true measure of your worth. In Christ. Whether you yield or not determines much of your direction. If you know Christ, then God wants you to live a, a life of continual repentance and confession, of, of continual turning back to God as, as His kindness leads us, as His sovereign kindness leads us to, to repentance. If you're not saved, and remember, Judas was there hearing these words, he was on his way to hell. If, you recognize you're, if you're not saved and you recognize your need You have to yield to Jesus Or you're going to keep going in the opposite direction So you've got to delight yourself in the Lord You've got to delight in, in God In Him alone and Stop worrying about status and rivalries and comparisons and petty competitions I've been reading about uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams And their friendship as well as their bitter rivalry you got to start focusing on, on true realities. Think about it. Think about who you have a rivalry with. Think about it. Who are you competing with right now in your life? Think about who you're trying to get in front of. C.S. Lewis said, If anyone would wish to acquire humility, I can tell him the first step to recognize that he is proud. C.H. Spurgeon said, I believe that every Christian man has the choice between being humble or being humbled You know in the end A lot of the things that we put stock in Are going to fade away to nothingness And in the end And listen close kids who are in school You should work hard But in the end No one's going to remember what grades you got No one's going to remember Adults what promotion you received And no one's going to remember How much money you made Or didn't make in the end all of those things are going to fade to nothingness. Now, that is qualified by in Christ where to, to where to work as unto the Lord. Do everything to the glory of God. So if you're a student, work as hard as you can to the glory of God. If you're wherever you work, work to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you find, whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with all your might to the glory of God. But don't let that that Desire to glorify God become a desire to glorify yourself. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life will be an issue until Jesus returns or we go to be with him, whichever comes first. We're always dependent on God. We always need Jesus. God wants us to humbly cling to him dependently so when we're tempted to go independent we'll remember our true condition the great thing to remember is this Jesus holds on to us Jesus is the strong one because Jesus is the great one and the great one became the humble one the great one the highest became the lowest so that we might have life, so that we might experience true greatness. Let's pray, Lord. We uh, we realize that what is often seen as greatness in our world is nothing more than popularity or fame or uh, humanistic definitions of success. Lord we even know that in the American church The world's view of greatness is often a measure of worth Lord we, we repent Lord of promoting Christian rock stars and heroes just like the world does Lord we repent and we want, we want to be truly the poor in spirit we, we pray like the old hymn goes Nothing in my hands I bring Simply to your cross we cling Lord Lord we 're naked, and we come to you for for dress we 're helpless, and we come to you for grace, Lord. our hearts want to cry out dependently, knowing our condition and the depths of our need. Lord, we want to cry out to you, Lord, we want to cry out to you to to do what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes and in this assembly and in this community. We praise you, Lord, that that Jesus humbled himself to become man and die on a shameful cross for our sins. Lord, we acknowledge our need before you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.